You're listening to an N Stars podcast production. I'm Adam Mock, a 40 something year old film critic, and for Pride Month, we are doing another movie that is definitely something that makes Mel cry. See, I thought I knew what I was going to say, and then you took it, because I was going to say, I'm Melanie Weir, 26-year-old former theater major who is apparently still not done crying about this documentary. See, so it worked. Yeah, it did. And we're about <laughs> to make you watch a podcast. Welcome back to Made You Watch, a podcast on our second Pride Month episode. Uh, last time we did The Birdcage, and then this time around, it was Mel's turn to recommend a movie to me. And what did you recommend, Mel? And I picked the Disney documentary Howard, which you can watch now on Disney+. Plus. Actually, if you look under their little pride banner, it's one of the first things they recommend. Because th- this goes off of our normal beaten path of chosen movies, uh, because we usually choose fiction, more standard yeah. films. But this is um, one of the most inspiring documentaries I've ever seen. And I first saw it at like my lowest low point during the pandemic where like, you know, we'd all been inside for so long. I was literally only interacting with like my mom and dad and like my boyfriend through text for like very short periods of the day. I kind of forgotten who I was even. And then this documentary, I picked it out of Disney Plus at random and I remembered. <laughs> Now, I know very, very little about... It's Howard Ashman? Howard Ashman. Okay, yeah. I, I'm i one of those guys that I don't know musicians. I, I've right. never... Like, I, you, actors, not a problem. Musicians, I'm terrible. I couldn't tell you who plays bass in half the bands or the drummer. And I have a lot of family members and friends who can. I can only tell you, like, in like my favorite bands, the lineup. Like, I could tell you about Panic! of the Disco and Fall Out Boy. Yeah. Um, especially... Because Panic! at the Disco's lineup has dwindled over the years. But um, I, I can't tell you even, like, the severe history of, like, my current favorite band because they're indie and there isn't a whole lot of fandom drama for me to read about. Like, I know their names and I've met them, but I don't even know if I could match all their names to their faces. <laughs> they're called the Rex, by the way. W-R-E-C-K-S. I'm always standing for them, checking out. Check, check them out. I'm always... How do you say it? The kids say stand them. This is this is the worst. I, I'm this is the I'm worst. Adult something. You're asking the wrong cat that I've had. <laughs> I still use the word cat. Like I usually, I, I'm I'm okay with the Gen Z slang because I'm like this this close to being Gen Z. But I I use stan incorrectly because grammatically stan I can't. Stan means make you're it. obsessed with something. Yes, yeah. but I I, I want to say I stand for something, and it's just stan. And grammatically, you're, you're, my, a, you're a wreck stan. My my brain doesn't want to make that work. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> check out the Rex. You can cut out any any large <laughs> number of that. Okay, so whatever. like like I said, like I said, I've I heard of this thing and never saw it because I just I don't use Disney Plus as often because I've seen what I kind of want to see out of Disney Plus yeah because no, they, they're coming out with new stuff every day but I kind of caught up hey Miss Marvel like, comes out tomorrow I know I'm reviewing it that, that is correct <laughs> so uh, we are going to take a little break you can listen to the trailer we're gonna watch the movie and we will be right back indeed Ready to stand. Ready to stand. As a lyricist, the last great place to do musicals is in animation. The combination of Howard Ashman's talent and the Walt Disney name was a home run waiting to happen. The stuff that was coming out of Howard's pen lyrically was just unbelievable. 
quiet, you know what I mean? It's a quiet village. Yeah. Howard and Alan Menken had captured the imagination of a generation. We knew something really special was happening, but what we didn't know was that in nine months, Howard would be gone. And Howard said, we really have to have a serious talk. I'm sick. In animation history and in musical history, Howard's mark is indelible. Me. Ah. Yes. Howard's gift was so strong and his light was so bright that it has not diminished over the years. Okay, we are back. And Mel, I have to say, you kind of changed the way I look at musicals. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. And if anyone listens to this show or knows me, I'm not a huge musical guy. I respect musicals. Modern musicals, I've never been a huge fan of. I think they're a little too, like, making a sandwich and doing it right. Just singing about (laughs) dumb shit. And I never realized that Howard Ashman kind of wrote all the musicals I like. He did Uh Little Shop of Horrors, which was the first show I ever went to see. I knew as soon as you mentioned that, like Holy months God. and months ago, I filed away in my brain to like oh, talk to you about this movie good movie eventually. Way to pull it out. That was like that that was a good recommend. I I I love both the musical that I've seen it I saw it on Broadway. I saw it in Texas in the park. That's so ooh, that sounds fun. It, yeah, it was just the weirdest thing. We were far away so I could barely see it, but it was I remember loving it. And I was obsessed with the Frank Oz movie. I mean, yes, I remember you mentioning that, and I was impressed that you knew that deep cut because I, I thought I was the only one who knew that little bit of trivia because I'd seen this documentary. I've seen the alternate ending. I've seen the original film. I've seen the original little show. That's really cool. With, with Jack Nicholson. That movie's amazing. Um, but we're not talking about that today, but we're going to talk about it a little bit. I do love Little Shop. Little Shop's great. He also did Aladdin, which which he did... <sighs> He, he did Aladdin, but he didn't. He, he didn't finish Aladdin. He wrote. He created Aladdin. He wrote the script because he played Aladdin when he was like a little boy, and yeah. it was one of his passion projects. And he presented it to Disney, and Jeffrey Kassenberg was like, "This needs major rewrites. I hate this." <laughs> um, which I, I guess, to be fair, it probably did because it eventually made it through in its finished form. But yeah. I, I don't know. It almost felt like they were honoring him a little bit. It did because they. What did they say? They said anything he touches. In terms of Disney. It turned to gold, and yeah. they knew that by the time that he... If you're not aware, we're just going to get this out there at the beginning because it's knowledge that most people have going into it. Howard Ashman, this influential writer for Disney and for the modern musical, uh, was a gay man who died of AIDS in the year... Or died of, obviously, complications related to AIDS um, in the year 1991, right before... Or maybe it was 1990, but right before Beauty and the Beast came out. Which he also wrote which he, the music for. It, he fixed. Yeah. If he... And to hear it, tell, it told in the documentary, it's very flat of Disney. They're like, oh, it was kind of boring. We needed to put them on to fix it. To hear other people who are not affiliated with Disney anymore or who like aren't do- directly doing a documentary for them, t- tell it uh, Beauty of the Beast was about to die. Yeah. Um, and they took Howard and uh, Howard Ashman and Alan Menken off of working on Aladdin because it needed serious rewrites. And they were like, please save put this Put the movie. boys on it. Please, for the love of God, save this movie. And they saved it so hard that it w- almost won an Oscar. Won an Oscar. What, Beauty and the Beast? Beauty and the Beast. It, won, it was it nominated won. for Best Picture, which yeah, it no, was unheard of. It, he, no, I believe it he, lost to Silence of the Lambs. 
But I believe they did win for something. They, he, they, they won accepting... for best best yeah. score, best composer. I think so. They won an Oscar. They did. But also, they were nominated for best picture, which was huge for animation and for like. Yo, Disney it was groundbreaking at the time. At it the was time. Insane. No one, everyone was like animation, and then they saw it and were like, "And I'm not a huge Beauty and the Beast fan. I always kind of called it Stockholm the movie because hey. I'm I'm kind of a dick. But um, I respect one. The cast is phenomenal. Oh my god. Um, Which you just get reminded of watching this documentary because there's this, there's this one little clip of Angela Lansbury just talking about her love of teapots and her knowledge of tea with Jeffrey Katzenberg. The bag has to be in the pot or else it won't it, steep. The water must be boiling. And it, it, it has nothing to do with anything else that's going on in the film or in the documentary and at that time or at all. But like it's just it's a delightful little clip. I've got you, a collection of teapots. Did you know that? If you, if you want to ask me anything about tea, I can tell you. <laughs> she was so sweet. And just a lot of like Jerry Orbach. And, yeah, it's and like seeing Aunt, Angela Larry and, Jer- and Jerry Orbach doing a French accent. May we? He nails it. He nails it much better than Ewan McGregor. Oh yeah. Let's not, not talk, try. Let's not talk about that movie. That remake was I, that, that remake's unfortunate. I, I, it makes me mad because the script was really good. I yeah. feel like they fixed a lot of the problems with the Beast and having him not just be a big brute, but like an actually seriously misunderstood yeah. young man. Um, and also fixed a lot of like the plot holes very easily. But the creature effects in that movie are our yeah. nightmare. Fuel. And why did they do that to be our guest? Why did they like do the whole slow it down can can number? You didn't need to touch that music. <laughs> that music was perfect, which is what we're talking about. And he also did Little Mermaid. Uh, yeah, he did. He and did my favorite movie. He had to fight for that movie when it came to was it part of your world? They didn't they want. Wanted to they didn't cut, want a ballad. My, they wanted to cut one of the songs that inspired me to sing. Part I of get your world, on... the biggest song in the movie, besides um, uh, what's his name, uh, the the crab. Oh, uh, under the sea. Yeah, under Sebastian. The sea. Sebastian. I I can't I cannot. It's just so funny to me because when they're explaining all that stuff about the I want song, that's like theater 101. Yeah. I learned that in one of my first classes in college and I knew it before then anyway. It's a character study of I've, the of the main character. I've been in shows. It's just wild that we know so much more about like I guess the the not the science but the art of creating a musical like the way that we know about the form of creating a book. Like yeah. there are not rules now but like accepted guidelines guidelines of things that we know work and why yeah. that we just didn't have back then and none of these guys at Disney knew that the I Want song was an important song none of them understood just kind of the lay of the musical I th- when musical theater and Disney started working hand in hand is when all of their stuff started improving and also they improved New York like say what you will yeah. about Disney now they're a massive conglomerate and they need to be broken up it's <laughs> insane how much they're allowed to get away with but the artists working there are doing fantastic work and in history they came into new york city and if they hadn't like fixed up times square none of the stuff around it would have grown into what it was no i mean it's a tourist trap now but at the time it, it was dangerous it went from basically porno theaters and scumbags on every corner. I grew, I, I grew up in New York. I remember it. Yeah, we weren't were allowed saying, to go to... You were not allowed to go near Times Square. You were saying... Um, it was interesting watching this in the office with you because you were saying like, oh, this place where their apartment was and their first theater was. I lived across the street from there. No, I, I worked, worked there. I worked there. across the street. Yeah. yeah. It, it, like the, uh, the, the hospital that he passed away in is now an apartment building that I've done work in. That's I so mean, it's, weird. Watching old New York in this was kind of my favorite part of the whole... Besides 
besides his story, like which you is stood in, on top of his ghost. I don't know. I mean, I remember they show the Orpheum where they're showing Little Shop, and I remember sitting in that theater, and the cast is sit there showing the cold commercial. Oh, that's for, so. For, and I, I'm like, I remember this commercial on Pix Eleven. Every day they would promote it. My dad's like, you want to go see it? And took the whole family. And That's, it was the best. Uh, see, this this is just one of those things that breaks my heart just because, like, I wasn't alive. Oh, you would have loved like, it. I'm not saying I was born at the wrong time necessarily, although <laughs> it sounds like things were a lot better. I don't know. Oh, yeah. That, let's just say your lifestyle choices would not have done, gone over well in the city. I wouldn't have made them. <laughs> anyway, you would, yeah. I would have I would have listened to my parents more, maybe. I don't know. Um, I would have gone. That's the other thing like that I mourn, because I know like in that time, in that decade, I would have gone with what was yeah. safe and not like But it was also myself. a very revolutionary time, because, I mean, you had the like Stonewall and all that stuff yeah. going on on and and just the revolution it's just it's it's just wild that i i don't know this it's so sad to me to think that this man should still be alive yes yeah. and I he mean, died he, before i was even born yeah I mean, he's like a rodeo and so the movie starts off telling about his childhood and how he used to watch his sister a lot and put on these little kind of play he would set up the room upstairs with like toys and things she called them little vignettes which i think was very appropriate like a diorama yeah almost. sort of like the way andy plays in toy Story. yes yeah and it was it, it's this really sweet thing where his sister's narrating how you know howard would bring her upstairs his and sister show, sarah i believe sister, yes and he would she would he would say oh and here's where the the cowboys and indians are playing but they're dressed like aladdin characters mm-hmm. or things like and you you really see that he had this whimsical mind. He turned a mirror like into into an ice skating rink. Yeah, stuff he, like that. He was just a very he he had a way of looking at the world very differently from the rest of us, you know. And that that for a kid that's impressive. I used to, I remember my siblings and I used to play like that. We used to make like because my parents weren't willing to buy us not not willing but also they like, couldn't afford. There was a lot of us and. You know, we were growing up you around like two. two that yeah, yeah. two thousand five, two thousand six, whatever. I we would be, get creative with like stuff that we like would add additions onto the dollhouses we have yeah. to like make more room. So we'd like make like beds out of egg cartons, <laughs> and we would um, take repurpose like my brother's like construction vehicles and turn the insides of them into little apartments. Or we'd build like I'm not. This isn't to say we didn't have a lot of toys. It's just. When you get bored, you want to get creative, and yeah. so you you kind of mix together. And to think like he did all of that with even you you know even less. Yeah. Um, because they talk about how his parents were always both working, and they lived in like a, a row home, and he was always watching his sister, and, and like things were just less mass produced and more expensive back then anyway. So like he was, all of it was coming from his mind, which is just so impressive. It really was. What I found uh, kind of funny was the that that one little vignette they did about his dad. And how his dad took him fishing. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, they're both sitting on the bank, and he didn't really want to go. He wasn't that kid. And he's like, well, he's a boy. He's, boy's got to learn how to do this Because his mom was like, oh, maybe we should put him in dance lessons. And the father was like, not a boy. No, yeah. no. I mean, it was back in the day. It was but, far yeah. back. Yeah. And, you know, they're sitting on the bank, and Howard looks bored. The dad looks bored, and he goes, you enjoying yourself? And he's like, not really. And he goes, me neither. Let's get out of here. That's and so they just funny. came right back home. I'm like, but the dad 
did support him. Yeah, that's... The dad was pretty progressive for the era. That is being very, very supportive and in that day and age. Did he... Even understanding. And so he went into, like, children's theater, right? He did. They put him in a children's theater program. And when I first saw this part is when I started the first time I teared up because... The way she describes, the way, and I think there was even a voiceover from him from probably an earlier interview. Yeah. Describing uh, the way that, like, he saw all these kids on this stage in a theater and turned to his mom and said, Mom, I want to do that. That's exactly what happened to me. <laughs> I There was this summer theater program where I grew up in Upper Derby called Summer Stage. Um, and my mom would take me to these shows when I was really, really little, and they would always do this song called, like, the Summer Stage song at the beginning, and there was a little choreographed dance that was pretty easy to learn, and I remember, I don't remember exactly what I saw the first time I'm see I saw it, but I have this very foggy memory of seeing all these kids and turning to my mom and going, Mom, when will I be old enough to do that? And it was a long time, because you had to wait, and back then you actually had to wait until you were, like, 11. I think they've lowered the age since then. But she was, like, not for a long time, and I was so disappointed. Aww. I wanted to do it so bad. And when I turned 11, I did, and I lived in that theater for, like, seven or eight years. Meanwhile, I was, it, it, for, for not being a theater kid, I grew up as a theater kid. In a weird here. way. I, I, I was, I'm going to admit something, I was in the Nutcracker <laughs> as a child. No way! When I was eight years old. Tell me you were Fritz. I was the understudy. Mm -hmm. I never had to go on. They only chose me because I looked exactly like the kid who was actually a ballet dancer. My yeah. mom was friends with a ballet studio. And every year I would get off for like two weeks um, at Christmas to practice and be in the show. And I would just do my homework at the theater. when. And I was one of the kids in the opening act when Drosselmeyer would show up. Right. And my bit was I, one night it was a late show. I fell asleep on stage. And oh, that's right, because the kids are just supposed to be sitting around playing, and they're falling asleep a little bit. The actor who was playing my dad, they, he's like, wait, where, where's Adam? And they're like, he fell asleep. I was still sleeping on the stage, and they hadn't closed the curtain yet. Everyone's off stage. This guy comes running out, picks me up, and whisks me off stage. They put it in the show. Forever? That's so <laughs> sweet. I love when stuff like that happens, because you know what? That's cute. I've seen similar stuff when they, the Nutcracker would come through our high school yeah. theater. It's like the largest regional theater like outside Philadelphia that's like still in the immediate area, so mm -hmm. a lot of like smaller companies use it. Yeah. I think that's the correct description. I'm not entirely certain. Don't quote me on that. Um, but the Nutcracker would come through every year, and I was an usher. I volunteered as an usher for the high school cool. um, on the weekends, and that was like the big thing. They needed like all hands on deck for the Nutcracker and I would actually look forward to this weekend because it was one of the times that I would see some of my friends from other schools for from summer stage uh, shout out to uh, Nikki and, and Brian and Andrew and all those guys um, and Chris and actually I don't know if Chris ever ushered sometimes I saw him at the box office anyway um, <laughs> But shout out to all those guys I would usher with because I would look forward to it so much. But eventually I started watching so much of The Nutcracker and there was a couple of years where they would do a bit like that. They Like a kid fell asleep really? on stage and they would carry him off. I'm wondering. I wonder if one of them saw your production Because that was, it was not scripted. I literally, they would they would like leave cookies on stage for us to like keep busy while the adults were dancing. Oh, that's so cute. And I just passed out. I vaguely remember doing dance recitals and they would like sequester the little kid dancers in a room in the back when they weren't dancing. And like oh, some they, kids would play with they toys. They would make us sit in the balcony just to get us out of the out of like the backstage because it was so hectic. Oh, yeah. That and, you know, we're kids watching adults change. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I should have liked theater more than I did. I understand it. But I got into film. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of what Theater's I... cousin. Yeah, and that's kind of what I think. I and I was in and I was in animation. 
You know, I went to, I, I wanted to be an animator and then I saw Roger Rabbit and I was like, oh, film is cool too. Yeah. And this, and you could do animation and film. And Howard Ashman himself said in the documentary, there's this, there's this kind of, of link between people who do animation and people who do musical theater. It's that same kind of like whimsical, almost like childlike energy of just like, I just want to have fun well, with what I'm doing. It's, it's almost a fantasy because you don't break into song in real life no. unless, unless you're just singing along with the radio. I mean, sometimes I do, but like, they're, they're, I don't write. But you're not, you're not going up to someone in the street going can i get directions not you know like you don't no. sing you don't sing your life story to no. people and i think that's where that whimsicalness comes from so howard uh grows up to go into theater and he's he's just basically a writer he actually he does a lot of acting they said when he was in college yeah. Um, but yeah, his passion, he, and this was another point where I was like, okay, geez, yikes. <laughs> he, he went to college for theater, discovered that he was less into the acting and more into the, like, the writing and directing side of it, especially the writing, yeah. which is exactly what happened to me in college. I thought that I loved acting and singing, and I still do to an extent, but then I was given an opportunity to write a play that, like, and I had written a play before in high school, but the production had gone terribly because it was a bunch of 18-year-olds and younger than 18-year-olds yeah. in charge of it. Um, and there was neurochemical drama going on. Um, but then we did one later, and I, I did one in, in college, a, just a little Christmas play, but I had so much fun putting my work on and watching my work be done. I didn't, I was in a little bit of it, and I actually didn't like that part. Yo, like, right. I gave myself a small part just so that I could sing one song on a stage for once in college, because I, it just didn't happen. And I, Every time I wasn't on stage, I was like, I just want to be watching my show. I don't care. I just want to see it. Yeah. See, I, I was similar to that. I, I wanted, I never really wanted to act, but I could do voices and things. And they put, I love they would, when you do voices. They would put me in stage shows and stuff, like like talent shows in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I, I would do comedy bits mostly. I was, I, I, I liked onstage comedy type stuff. I would never, I was never doing any serious acting. I mean, the Nutcracker is probably the serious, most serious thing I ever did. And I was playing a child. Right. But and, um, yeah. when I got into college, you know, I went to film school. And I, I was like, I'm going to be a director. And then I was like, being a director is really freaking hard. That sounds like a I'd lot. rather just be behind the scenes and write the story. Because yeah. I'm better at that. And that's how I became a writer. You know, it's, it's funny how your paths change just learning more about each facet as you go through. Yeah, because when I was little, I thought I was going to be, like, my first thing that I really thought I was going to be was just, like, a singer. Like, I saw American Idol. I saw Carrie Underwood win it when I was nine, and I was like, that. I'm going to yeah. do that. And it, it, is, it has gone so differently, and yet still so predictably, if you look at all the signs. Yeah. I mean, I, the, my, with me, it was Kevin Smith's Clerks. Which I might have to show you one of these days. I believe you have to if it's this formative for you, it, yes. Know what it was? It was a super low-budget movie that proved anyone could make a movie. I feel that I've heard of Clerks before, and I'm trying to remember Have you ever heard where. of Jay and Silent Bob? No. Uh, Kevin Smith just directed the new He-Man show. Okay, yes. He's the creator of that. He's done a, he's done a, he's done a few things you may have seen, like Mallrats, Chasing Amy. Which is also an LGBTQ movie. No, it's about I've a guy who falls it. in love with a lesbian. Oh, unfortunate for him. <laughs> well, it doesn't quite go that way. It's a little different than it's uh, than the way it's explained. But a uh, really good movie. Ben Affleck's in it, he's, mm. and he's young. So Howard uh, goes to, and he starts. He starts. What he wrote a he wrote a show. What was it called? It was something Rose. Something Rose. Oh, uh, something something. Mr. Rosewater. It was a Kurt Vonnegut novel. And they thought it was going to be like the next big it thing. It was very very good. 
in a small theater. And Kurt Vonnegut even saw it and like approved it and loved it. And then the New York theater community kind of panned Because it. they tried to translate it to a small, uh, larger stage. And mm. what you learn, you, you think it should be easy because it's just, it's the same production. People should see it the same no matter what. But the context of the theater lends a certain atmosphere to a production that you have to think of as a director, even mm. when you're doing the set. Because yeah. a, a, a certain amount of set will look more or less grandiose depending on how large the placement of it is. Yeah. So something that works on a small stage and like fills up the whole room with enough spectacle to keep everyone entertained just isn't going to work on a Broadway stage unless you make significant edits. And sometimes those take away from the overall feel of the show. So no matter what, you're giving something up and it may be something that is integral to the reason people liked it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the difference between a Hollywood movie and an indie movie. Exactly. Is you can shoot in an apartment and ha as your dialogue's tight and everything like that. It works for that environment, but... It would if, feel if, weird if with If you're that, doing a scene in Times Square, you need you know, you need a big stage. Like, if I was watching, like, The Lighthouse and it was edited to look like a Marvel movie, I would be like, what the, <laughs> what the hell is going on? Have you seen The Lighthouse? Uh, no, no. Oh, I've seen clips from The Lighthouse. You're in for a nightmare for The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse is... I mean, I've seen clips from The Lighthouse just because I love Robert Pattinson, but I have not been able to sit did, down and watch it. Did you see it. his seagull scene yet? No. Oh, well, you're in for a treat. <laughs> Maybe I'll recommend that one one day, but I don't know. I don't know how much we could actually talk about because it's just it's just watching weird <laughs> for two hours. It's pretty it's pretty good though. Willem Dafoe rules. Um, so Howard was sitting up one night watching the original Roger Corman Little Shop mm -hmm. on TV, and he was like, "This is my next." This is my next, my next play, uh, musical. Yes, he, and he everyone said he thought he was a seen the original when he was staying up late one night, which I just feel is an important detail because that's also where I would get a lot of my ideas. Oh that yeah, I'm, like, still and, and he was disheartened and everything. He's like, let's just go full weird. Yeah. And he nailed it. Which is beautiful. I love when people just give up and say, let's just go full weird and it works. It just feels mwah, beautiful plot universe, that's, beautiful plotting. That's where the best ideas come yes. from. Or in the middle of the night, you just get up, grab your pad and go for you it. You know what? <laughs> F it. I'm going to do something. Just it, it's Literally, it's the Bo Burnham song. It's like getting up, sitting down, going back to work. Might not help, but still it couldn't hurt. <laughs> It's just that attitude. When you take that attitude, I, I think you are probably one of the most powerful people in the world in that moment. Yeah. And I think what was what's interesting about watching this documentary is seeing how he changes mentally. Because yeah. I think he needed to be destroyed to be built back up. I can understand that. And all the bad reviews, like when Little Shop came out, it, he's like, we're staying way the hell off Broadway D don't even think about it. This is not that. He learned his wheelhouse, and yeah. unfortunately, he had to learn it the hard way. Which is amazing which is because he eventually to goes to Disney. Which was perfect because doing Disney, I mean, it's not anymore, but at the time, it was like doing theater on a small stage. Yeah. You only have so much to work with. The animators can only draw so much. You're, you're, you're a time crunch. You, time crunch, definitely. Kids will not tolerate more than an hour and 45 minutes, so help me God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's like he had to kind of break everything down. And I, he was so talented at simplicity yeah. and finding the beauty in simplicity. And I would say that that's, it's a little bit inherently Disney, 
But I also think that it, it wasn't, it wouldn't have become a pattern that was inherently Disney without him. Yeah. There is just something inherently him about Disney. He left, somebody in the movie compared him to Walt himself, and I would say that that's accurate. Like, he and Alan Menken came in, but it was his storytelling that revived that company. Yeah. Before The Little Mermaid, and admittedly, The Great Mouse Detective funded The Little Mermaid, so that's important, but really? creatively, oh yeah, that movie made enough money that they had enough money to make Howard hire Alan Menken. And that was at a time where Disney was struggling. Yeah. Their, their animated Hard. films, I mean, they were like Robin Hand. Hood, Fox and the Hound. Everything they after The Sword in the Stone and The Black Cauldron, people were like, okay, this is done. And I just watched Sword in the Stone. It's a beautiful looking movie. It's boring. It yes. Except for the cute little vignettes where like the wizard is, you know, Merlin's turning into a bird and they all that stopped stuff. telling stories correctly. Yeah, they and did. Howard was the person who came back in and said, No, guys, I know this is gonna make kids squirm in the short term, but in the long term, you need part of your world. You need the I want song, or everyone's gonna be lost and confused. The story's he, not gonna have a clear goal. He kind of understood why Walt Disney began so strong. Because he was a storytelling master too. And he brought it back. And he was also, uh, the lyrics he would come up with, I said it when we were watching it, they're almost like run-on sentences. Yes. They don't, they don't stop, you know, more, like. More inspiration. I mean, I'm like, that's how I talk. <laughs> what's the song, uh, is it Prince Ali? Prince, uh, with dun, 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 40 dun. Bakers. I, I, that's the one I can't do. I can't do that part. I can do, um. There's no question this Ali's alluring, never ordinary, never boring. Everything about the man just plain impresses. He's a winner, he's a whiz, a wonder. He's about to pull my heart asunder. And I absolutely love the way he dresses. <laughs> <laughs> I have been in that number in like different review shows for Summer Stage so many times. Wow. And the way he got into Disney was he was writing the Mouseketeers book. Uh-huh. Because he was them. doing copy editing. Yeah. He was like, all right, you I You need to make money because he's living in New York. And he mood. <laughs> what do we do, Adam? We write uh, entertainment news. I'm not saying I don't love it. Is it my dream? No. <laughs> we need to get in a theater, man. Yeah. Well, look, man. <laughs> I, listen, here, we can cut this out if I'll we want to. But this can also be like a weird uh, insert if it ever happens. I am uh, thinking about turning that, that script that I sent you that I'm writing that mm. show and trying to do it as like a radio podcast for a radio oh, show first. Cool. That I would mean, be totally cool. I feel cool. like you could do a lot of the voices. I feel like, like I feel like we could all do a lot of the voices. <laughs> I'd be totally down. I with just it. have to write it. I'll be like Seth MacFarlane, and I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll go from this one to this one. <laughs> oh, Peter, of course. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Can you do like emo giggity, giggity. dude? Can you do just like <laughs> an emo dude? Just, just do like what, what you imagine like Robert Pattinson's Batman acted like when he was like seventeen. <sighs> oh. For real? <laughs> I oh, love that you're right. pitching him as whiny. <laughs> That's we how I imagine emo dudes are. Just kind of like this, like, it, it's not quite a, it's not like quite a shaggy man, but like you bring it down a little bit. Having kinda, thirsted after. It, it's quite shaggy <laughs> when you just woke him up. <laughs> Having thirsted after quite a few of them, I can tell you they're not really whiny. They just don't say much about what's bothering them at all until like three weeks later. <laughs> We got to get back to Howard. We're going on rants. And it's tough It's tough talking about a documentary. It, it is. Because you almost don't want to ruin the, the story. But there is no story to ruin, there, necessarily. There, I mean, I think there is, though. It's. I mean, there's a story. It's just a story that's public knowledge. It, yeah, but I didn't know it. And if you're not in the theater world, I, see, yeah. I don't think you would. And, and think about how many movies I throw at you. And you're like... <laughs> I don't know that director. I don't know. But to me, I'm like, 
How do you not? Uh, I'm going to get mad at you right now. How did you not know who Jeff Bridges was? I almost pissed my pants. I don't know a lot. Like I was saying earlier, you know how you don't know a lot of like band members? Yes. I don't know a lot of names of production people. I barely knew a lot of names of actors before this job because I was always so focused on story. Like honestly, I have heard all these names before Howard Mankin. Uh, Howard Mankin. See? See what I mean? I just mix them all up. Yeah. No. Yeah. It is a thing. It becomes Ashman. like a soup. Honestly, I think the reason that I know so much about this is because so often in college I would need a subject for a paper and I would end up writing about Disney yeah. and I had this actually this is relevant I had this one music of Broadway professor who drove me insane because he would always kind of like elbow us and nudge us and make like inside jokes about theater that like I didn't we did not agree with as a class yeah. like he was apparently his generation had like beef with Julie Andrews for getting vocal surgery and like daring to sue the doctor who messed it up oh, wow. which is like ridiculous because it's like oh, dude you don't have context for this Julie Andrews is our queen she's the queen of <laughs> Genovia, uh, and she was Mary Poppins, and that's all we and Sound, and of, music, Sound of Music, man. and that is that is our context for her mainly. So your bitterness at her midlife drama is is nothing to us. Yeah. And then, more importantly, what pissed me off is he did not like Disney. He had a very clear distaste for Disney, which was ridiculous because he was teaching theater, and also he was not a theater teacher. They didn't care enough about our theater program to give us a musical theater teacher who was qualified for more than a year before underpaying them and kicking him out. So instead, what they did was they would have the comp composition teacher or something teaches about musical theater, which resulted in us mostly learning about like operettas and just barely getting to company by the time we finished. So we didn't get to learn about any of the fun musicals that I really, really love. We were we barely got to Oklahoma, and we were doing Oklahoma. I was like, this is stupid. So it's kind of like your science teacher being your like track coach yes. a mathematician like teaching you how to like you know throw a javelin and it's like maybe you know physics but you don't know physics you don't know physicality not, it's not that different because the thing is it was close he did have context but he was teaching us from a completely different standpoint just like context for a composer that we didn't need to know we wanted to like learn about the acting and how the modern musical was composed yeah. and we and he learned just had, a lot of he didn't have the knowledge for it so in revenge for this for our final paper I wrote a paper about all the good that Disney did for Broadway just as a kind of you to him. So I did a lot of back research on all of that. And it, it, you, you're exactly right. I mean, Disney really is, um, it really did influence a lot of Broadway. It, Not even just the shows that are Disney shows. You know, I the mean. The musical Beauty and the Beast was one of the first steps to actually repopularize it with like people who weren't around it, apparently. I mean, Howard got inspiration to make Little Shop, mm -hmm. you know, and I mean, in his, you know, and stuff like that. And that went on into the Disney brand, you know, that, that Disney changed so interestingly in that late 80s, early 90s. Because mm -hmm. I remember that was the era, I wasn't a big Little Mermaid fan. I, because I, I just wasn't, that wasn't my I wasn't even alive when of, it came out, so. Like I was, I was always more of a Warner Brothers cartoon type. I yeah. like, I like the, like the live, like the, not a live action, the, the more scripted goofy stuff that w didn't have as much music to Difference it. is an opinion that we have before the year 2000. I can just credit to, okay, well I was introduced to this from the beginning. Yeah. And so this is like a first thing I've seen by us. There yeah. is no one doing that. It's yeah. like how I'm upset that all the kids young who are growing up today will prefer CGI to classic animation. Of course. Because I like it better. Or practical it's effects. They, it's what they saw first. Yeah. I mean, and it's just what they're used to. I hope that they'll learn to like practical effects. Practical effects are very Someone cool. will come along and use them. 
And, and it will blow their mind mm-hmm. and they'll all jump on again. I really That's need someone... That's it, always... It's ebb and flow. It always happens that I way. I need someone to start doing practical effects again that, like, you don't need to CGI a person. <laughs> like we were talking about with She-Hulk. Like, dude, just spray paint her green. Oh, just She-Hulk. spray paint her green. I... Look, they did it... They do it for Elphaba on Broadway every goddamn night. Spray paint the woman green. <laughs> I... Hell, they did it for Shrek on Broadway. It I worked. know! <laughs> it was just a green dude and a guy in a donkey costume. <laughs> Let's see. Where were we with Howard? Actually, you know what? um, Let's give the basic story was he met the love of his life. He met a love of his life. A love of his life. Stuart Stuart. in college. Oh, I was jumping ahead. Okay. Stuart turned out to be kind of a loose cannon. He wanted to have adventures in New York, apparently mostly sexual. Um, So he he wanted an open sort of polyamorous relationship, and Howard kind of didn't want that. He he was was a bit of a party monster. Compromise to keep the peace until he wasn't anymore, until Stuart was like barely there and kind of going insane, and they were almost 30, and Howard was pulling most of the weight in the relationship, and it's just, you know... And it was were, all this he, time. He was a he was a musician. Uh, they were both. In they were writers. Theater. Together. They were writers and directors. And apparently, Stewart would more often be the director on their the productions. And Howard founded the theater company that they had on across the street from where he used to work yeah. um, because he wanted to save their relationship. And it, it didn't it didn't work well no. enough to root Stewart. So Stewart was gone. And there was a divorce in the friend group, which <laughs> happened to me my senior year. I know how <laughs> that is. You have to choose sides. There's Ugh. no right answer. Everybody hates each other. Oh, I've been there too. I, oh, I <laughs> I'm mean, sure I can't compare to like real adult problems when it's like almost a literal divorce. It it is tough. It is very tough when that happens, and it happens to him. He moves on. Um, is that and then he meet? Is that when he meets up with Mencken? Uh yeah, he meets up with Mencken shortly after that because their first project together was Little Shop, I believe. Oh, that was it, Little Shop. Maybe it wasn't Little Shop. Maybe it was the one before. Maybe it was Mr. Rosewater. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. No. And then he worked with another gentleman. He also, another gentleman. <laughs> he also worked with Marvin Hamlish. Yeah, you go. Who is very famous. This is see. This is what's great. I love about this episode is you have to come up with all the names I mean, now because I, I don't the know these. I don't know these folks. Wrong. I have to tell you what famous things Marvin Hamlish did. I don't know. You told me he was on the nanny. He he, had a, <laughs> he did have a guest spot on him the and nanny. Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> um. Shoot, okay. Uh, he did, Oh, a chorus line. A chorus line is oh, his. okay. Yeah. yeah. I remember the chorus uh, line. The Spy Who Loved Me. Ooh. What oh, it, that's just he composed. I was going to say, that's a Bond movie. Yeah. If they made a musical out of that, I'd be weird. Um, yeah. The, a chorus line is his most famous work. I love Spy Who Loved Me. That's a good movie. His music. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting on a, t- a Bond. It's hey, easy watch to Bond. do. <laughs> um, and then he moves on to do The Little Mermaid, which is kind of what... <sighs> Puts him on the map. Oh, yes, it is. I mean, oh. Little Shop put him on the map. Little, Little Shop, Shop got going at the Orpheum and kept going, and he had him a lot of money, and there is when he met the love of his life. Yes. And they quickly and became... Was, do you remember his name? I don't remember his name, which is awful. And he was, an ar- he was the architect uh, from Ohio State. Yes, okay. he built them a house. I have to... It's not husband. Yeah, he built them like a Frank Lloyd Wright, like, squared out house. It was cool. In, like, the middle of the woods. Very talented architect. What was his partner's name? Oh, damn it. They're just giving me Alan Menken. Good luck finding it. I, the IMDb for this movie is really tough if you don't know what you're looking for. A Bill. It Bill. was Bill. Yeah. Which is creepy to me because he, he, he looks to me exactly like my boyfriend's dad. Wow. 
and my boyfriend's name is Will, and it was just a weird, like, he doesn't look unlike his dad also, so it was just this, like, this weird crossover where I keep seeing these, like, weird similarities, and they describe him as this, like, he was just this gentle guy with a really kind spirit, and he was very smart and steady, and I'm like, it, I, am I reliving his life just as a girl? Like, what's <laughs> happening? I wish, God, I wish I was on his trajectory. Dare to dream. <sighs> he makes a little mermaid, and it that was an interesting... Um, part where he's getting notes from production and because they're going over the taking too long they're going over budget and they were thinking of firing him and yeah they were going to fire this guy and he's almost done with the music yeah and the music kind of makes that movie i mean i remember they wanted to cut part of your world i mean and and he made sebastian a jamaican crab yeah, he came he's to, just like we're in the caribbean he came to john musker and ron clements i hope i said their names in the right order um yeah it, it i think i did um and he's like oh everything about this is so like middle american and white bread he, he meant yeah. them he was talking about them and he's like well what if we we make the crab was supposed to be english what if we make him jamaican and they were like what <laughs> Let's get out of our comfort zone for five minutes and make a character that isn't a white guy for once. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if they cast. Oh, I no, he was no. I I forget the actor's name. But I believe he was. He I was should black. know more about the cast of this movie. All I really know is Jodie Benson. Yeah. Um, well, that was the other thing that I found so interesting was early Disney never stunt casted that often. Well, it was harder. You know, you weren't putting Seth Rogen in every other line. There was also, there was less overlap between Broadway and mainstream musicals. But yes, Disney always does better when they cast from Broadway and musical theater than when they are casting just plain celebrities. Even with Frozen, they were casting like kind of names, but Kristen Bell wasn't a name in like the Disney sense where no. a lot of people she watching just looks like a Disney those person. movies <laughs> would have princess. known her and she hadn't done The Good Place yet or and anything. And Josh Gad was on um, uh, House of... Uh, Josh Gad uh, was yeah. he was in uh, Book of Mormon and yeah and and Idina Menzel was not she I mean was she Wicked. was known in Broadway communities for Wicked but she wasn't like radio famous she wasn't like Christmas album famous Frozen did that hell John Travolta couldn't even remember her name yeah um, the guy who did <laughs> Adele Dazeem um, that that was also that's that was unfortunate because also he knew her name and he's dyslexic and they like I tried know. to give him a, a pronunciation read it was so it, hearing his interviews afterwards I'm like oh this guy's so sad about this. <laughs> he messed up um anyway what was I what was I just saying so we were talking about uh, how Disney just never casted oh yeah, na- na- yeah. names you would recognize like even Jerry Orbach I unless was... you were watching Law and Order. You wouldn't know he was in Beauty and the Beast as a candelabra speaking yeah. French. When they cast Frozen, I was very excited about Idina Menzel. And the, the Kristoff was kind of stunt casting. <laughs> Ironically, I can't remember his name at the moment, but That's I promise okay. I know it. Um, and... And 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 the other one was the, oh the guy who played Han uh some something's Fontina Santino. I know very little about Frozen. Santino Fontana. Ah, uh, his oh. name I remember. He was in the Broadway Cinderella like directly after this movie oh, came out. Okay. Directly after. So like there when they were casting from Broadway, it was it was it, it was just another. I feel like Disney does their best stuff when nobody's watching. Yeah, when they just tr- when they just throw something at the wall and yeah. don't try to copy themselves, stop yeah. making live action remakes, Disney. Well, they're doing that to keep the copyright it IP. Sucks. Everybody knows it that. It sucks. I don't want a live. I love Lilo and Stitch. I don't want a live action Lilo and Stitch. God damn it! I really don't. I don't. It's just such a good, perfect cartoon, and that's what I miss from Disney is 
cartoons. I don't want to see perfection. I want to see perfect drawings. I don't want to see perfect computer renderings. I would be it's incredibly happy to, to see a live action version of Atlantis. You know that cartoon that you made that could have easily been live action and had a script that screamed live action, but <laughs> tanked because for some reason you couldn't figure out how to market something that was both that movie? You could make that live action now and it would just be a blockbuster, you idiots. I saw it in theaters. I loved that, <laughs> that movie. Movie's, that movie's great. It has, I, it has the best line. It took him about 10 to 1,000 years to build without the column. Took me about uh, 10, 20 seconds to knock it down. You have so much back eye <laughs> energy. It's amazing. Oh, Father Guido Sarducci? I don't think that's his name. No, that's the comedian. There was a, the comedian who did his voice oh. played a character who was famous called Father Guido Sarducci. Big on big on SNL. That, and speaking of cartoon characters that I had a crush on when I was little that I had Milo? no idea. No, I, no, I was aware <laughs> I had a crush on Milo. I was not aware that I had a crush on Kita until much, much later. Oh, Kita. I, I haven't seen that movie since theaters, but I vividly remember it. Bisexual Because it dream. was gorgeous. It was beautiful, story-wise. The fact that you did that by hand. I know. Is what makes it gorgeous. It had like... Space opera vibes. It had Hunt for Red October vibes. It had like just that future, like almost Avatar vibes where everything kind of glowed a little but bit. But they did the 1900s also. You could do Atlantis so well now, guys. Please. We're going to do our Atlantis. Coming up our Atlantis podcast. Oh, for real. I <laughs> We're would just going to talk Atlantis. about Atlantis for 12 I episodes. I talk about Atlantis forever. I, gotta, I, have the little, I have the little ship from McDonald's. I'm going to bring <laughs> it in. I found it in my garage not too I, long ago. My, Sam, Sam, who was just on the podcast, so I don't have to keep saying my Hi, roommate, Sam. Sam, Sam um, has the story about when she was little, she was obsessed. She wanted to collect all those McDonald's toys so bad that, like, word got out. And she, what she really wanted was the necklace that Keita wore because, oh, my God, why wouldn't she want that? And she wanted it so bad, and they kept never getting it. That word got out to, like, relatives and friends of friends until finally some guy that, like, was a friend of, like, an uncle or something and a coworker of a friend of an uncle had heard that a little girl wanted this and like passed it along and that's how she got it. That's insane. Uh, she like started like almost like a GoFundMe or and something that's for that That's before texting or yeah. cell phones. We just figured it was word of mouth. The power of one little girl's <laughs> desire for a, an have, Atlantis set necklace. We've got to get back down. Oh my God. Um, so Howard eventually uh, gets AIDS. Yeah. And they Stuart gets it first. So Stuart, you almost know it's coming. Yeah, Stuart gets it first. Um Because they didn't know why they were getting it at the time. But it we really, know now. And I remember the AIDS crisis very well. And I remember Which is frightening to me. No one understanding it. Not until there was I forget his name, it was a little boy who caught it from a blood transfusion. Yeah. And that was when America finally started paying accepted attention. it because you had a face that wasn't you know stigmatized exactly and it, which is sad it, you know i a lot of that came from reagan too it needs to be said oh reagan uh he there are recordings of him in his office just like literally saying verbatim it's a gay disease who cares yeah. like essentially oh yeah I, he was he was a monster <laughs> he really was a monster it's a, it's a, it's a, it's for gay people and drug users and who cares about but those people i i remember <sighs> it being a gay disease you know i remember when they they called the movie the gay cancer yeah and the and i mean i knew people who who had it you know my, one of my mom's friends passed away from it when i was a little little kid and i was just like well, what happened she told me and i was like so weird, you know, and it's it, terrifying. And it and it really, 
there was this panic. There was this kind of just hatred I that came out of the whole thing. And really no- little, there was like some kind of campaign where like people had to be reminded it wasn't contagious. Yes. Oh, I remember there were, I forget what show it was, but they did an episode where one of the kids has it and no one will go near her. Yeah. And the main character finally steps forward and like hugs them. And it's this like great, and you're just like, you're not going to get it this way, you know? Yeah. And, um, and they, I thought, given that this is a kind of a Disney documentary, they handled, you know, with their present problems with the homosexual community, they handled it pretty well and talked pretty openly about it, which yeah. I was impressed that, that Disney allowed that in the documentary. Yeah. Given the fact that... It would have been insulting not to. Yeah. But just the fact they were so open about it and, yeah. and didn't kind of like, can you... They didn't speak their way around it. They yeah. said gay. They I mean, said gay, yeah. which was the whole... Literally, you cannot find a better example of the reason this didn't need to be a fight than this documentary. Yeah. This is just what they want people to know. And honestly, I had to learn so much about like literally my own community's history from this documentary because there's so many fewer people than there should be left around to teach it. Yeah. It's and I'm true. like getting emotional right now just thinking about no, it. No, it's it's very true. It's New York was such a such a strange place because it was as accepting as it was bias back then. Interesting. You know, there was parts of the city that you know that was the gay area. This was the village. Know, the you know, this was uptown where the rich people lived. Mm-hmm. You had little Italy. You had your little section. The remnants but of those stereotypes part, are still there, but. I think a lot of people, it was just ignorance. Yeah. A lot of it was, it's not that you hated people with AIDS. Uh, you were it just, was more, you were just scared because we you here. didn't under, we, we were just not told that no one understood it. And you can't just Google things. I think that no, that's something that a lot of kids It today, was all hearsay or what you got off the news. Not to be all kids today. But I think that that's <laughs> something today. that just a lot of people, even me, like yeah. today, will sometimes like take out of context and not remember like... It was just not as easy to acquire knowledge. It like uh, tw- even 20 years ago. Yeah. It was it took significantly more effort. And like think about how some people are still like unable to put in the effort now. They don't know how they're unable for whatever reason to put in the effort now to learn and understand something yeah. or just like don't have the proper resources even. And that's with everything we have. Now imagine a time before you could Google things. You had to own an encyclopedia and look it up and rely or on the fact that God forbid go to a library. You could read whatever dry thing you were trying to learn about. There was just so much less. Or you got bad information from like a relative or a friend yeah. that was just hearsay. And that's that's how stuff gets started, you know? And that was kind of the thing that he, he, he just didn't tell anybody. And he was, was working on, was he, did he have it during, he had it during Little Mermaid? Yeah. And into um, Beauty and the Beast, which he didn't even live to see complete. He never, he, they still had a few months left when he died yeah. working on it. And it, it. And to hear all these people who knew him talking about how they had no idea, they were putting him on rides at Disney World to promote this move, these movies and making them do eight hours worth of interviews. And he just wouldn't, he wouldn't give up the ghost and just tell them. Yeah. Because he he couldn't. It broke my heart because the first time I watched this, I was like, I don't understand why you wouldn't just be open with like your friends and the people you you work with. And then it comes in and he's like, 
I didn't want to lose my job and I didn't want people to think I'm working for Disney. I'm working with kids. And it just broke my heart because it's, we're still dealing with the same story. Yeah. People are still treating gay people. And like, especially now it's, it's trans people like this way. Like there's some kind of predators like inherently. Yeah. And, and, and it all, they don't know. Uh, that exactly. Because I was just, I and was, at this point it's because they can't be bothered to yeah. know. I mean, I, I sound, I must sound blatantly ignorant sometimes when I say certain things just because I'll throw a term out there and be like, what does this mean? And you'll just be like, oh, that, this is what that means. Or, you know, like, we made that joke about the bisexual chair. Yeah, and, and like, I had to explain it. What but the I don't, hell is a bisexual chair? I don't mind that, A, because the bisexual community is like, it, you, you, it's not less vocal, but less talked about. Yeah. Because um, you so, almost bridged the gap yeah, between exactly. the two, you know? And there's there's You're portions, a little easier to handle. There's portions of the gay community that don't think we're real. There's portions of the straight community that don't think we're real. We're kind of unicorns. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but it, That's an interesting but way I, of putting I it. But I don't mind. I actually enjoy when people ask me questions because then I can explain and I'm spreading knowledge. And yeah. it's, it's, it's helping. And well, what people don't understand when they ask questions and they come out and saying, oh, you just can't ask questions anymore, that... You just have to be careful how you phrase them because you have to understand that any LGBTQ person you speak to is going to be so guarded against that because at some point or another in their life, somebody has asked them a question with incredibly malicious intent Mm -hmm. when they weren't expecting it and just psychologically destroyed them. So it's not about you. We are scared little deer. So as long as you ask, I mean, I'm not going to speak for all of us. I'm a scared little deer. As long as you ask the question in the correct way, you probably won't get those bitter answers. And if you do, just accept that it is a person who has been hurt and their reaction is not about you or a read on the entire LGBTQ community. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) and, and, you know, I have gay friends who, they hate being lumped in. Yeah. And and they, because you are all... That's why there's so many flags. You're all individuals. You all have these individual, like, things about your community that the other one wouldn't even understand. Right. You know, and it, it, like, like... I would guess that a lesbian probably is a little more accepted than a gay man in some, in certain, and at least back when I was a kid, it was. See, yeah, that's interesting. Because you're just giving me. You some... saw women, you know, give each other hugs and be more affectionate. So you were like, oh, well, you know. There was just But less you stigma. never saw guys. You never saw, if you saw anything farther than a man hug, you know, it was like, but then again, we had the slap on the ass in sports, which made no. I was just like, oh, and and, and you talk shit, like it's really? Sports, so it's okay. <laughs> no, yeah, I remember. I've read like there was a whole separate movement around I, the movie. I love you, man. Was mm. apparently some kind of revolution for male culture because it made the concept of the bromance, which. It's just a healthy male friendship, yes. just to be clear. Please. It made the concept of a healthy male friendship okay and not quote-unquote gay. I still remember when I was in middle school, anything remotely affectionate or flowery or feminine in any way was just, just got gay. And oh, yeah. it's funny because now we use that uh, joke at our friends to, to oh, talk really? about things that are actually just really, really gay that we do. But at the time, it was like us. They, the kids were just saying it. Yeah. Like they had no... Didn't even know. I remember one time in my language arts class, we had a sub get so angry because she was like, so do you think it's bad for a man to love other men? And the boys were just like, I don't know. They're like trying to like laugh it off the way 11-year-olds do, but getting flustered. Mm-hmm. And then that was like, I sat down and I thought about it and I was like, oh shit, that's what that means. Because yeah. I was 11. Because we, you, you heard it almost like, oh, that's stupid. Yeah. You know, that that was what it kind of meant. Or you're being silly about something. Oh, you're just being gay, stop it. And that's. And you didn't. 
you honestly didn't think about it because you heard it all the time. It was yeah. part of the lexicon. Like, I'm not excusing it. It's just like, I feel like we need to explain. Yeah. And that's what makes movies like Howard important is it really did. This movie, what I found so cool about it was it really does show that time in history or at least his lifespan, you know, from like the the set, the 60s, 70s, 80s. Into like just he died what ninety nineteen either ninety or end end of ninety or ninety one. Okay, so he barely made it into the nineties. Yeah, and the times changed a lot and didn't change at all. It's it's very interesting, and that's why I kind of was very watching this movie. I thought it was such it's so interesting if you pick that up, mm-hmm. and they really do tell you they're like yeah no. He, he wasn't telling people, but he everybody knew and because you just couldn't. It wasn't, it wasn't something you could do. It was like a but, don't ask, don't tell thing. And it was funny because everyone thought he, towards the end he was such a curmudgeon about things because he kept getting notes and this and that. And he kept getting like more and more frustrated at the animators and at Alan Menken. And, and, and just being work. told that, you know, oh, we're going to get rid of this. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. And meanwhile, and he's he knew trying what the hell to make he was something. Doing. And he's trying to make something that'll outlast him. He's yeah. trying to like make his magnum opus before he dies. And no one knew it. No one knew. That is so... That's really the takeaway from this is you think you know someone and then you find out the whole story afterwards and everybody's story is so epic when you really break it down. You, 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 can, you can sit there and go, I've done nothing with my life. But if someone else tells your story and lays it out, you, probably, you may have lived a pretty cool life that someone else would want. Yeah. You know, and I think that's... The grass is always greener, as they Yeah, and, and as bittersweet as this movie is, and it, I mean, it's, there's times where you're laughing at certain things and just the way he's, you know, the, the way he's dealing with, like, certain people who are just giving him shit. There was not even, point. like, not even, like, with the gay stuff, just... Just giving him shit like, oh, we're throwing this entire song out, or we're, we're. And he said, "Over my dead body." <laughs> and oh, they told man. him they wanted to cut, put, uh, cut part of your world, and he said, "Over my dead body." Wow. And uh, had they only known he, how literally he meant that. <laughs> and and like I said, I it it's a hard movie to talk about because it is a documentary, and there are so they talk about every aspect of the man's life, and it's almost doing a disservice to talk about it if you haven't seen it. Honestly, this is an eye-opening thing. I learned so much more. I was starting to say before I started crying. Um, I learned so much more about like queer history from this than I have from not anything, but certainly anything that I didn't get off of like Tumblr or a Reddit resource or something. Like this was a a published thing and I'm certain there are more documentaries that I could watch, but it was very nice to see this one. And by the way, on the subject of don't say gay and the whole sub like subject that started that debate in that law, which was teaching gay history in schools, this is what should be taught. I don't care what anyone else says. Or there's people who will waffle and be like, oh, well, of course they shouldn't teach about this, this, and this. But look, they're not going to teach elementary schoolers like about gay sex. That's not what's going to happen. What does need to happen is queer history, the history of the AIDS epidemic, the history of Stonewall should be taught in high school civics classes. Or it's ridiculous that it's not. Relationships. Th- that, I mean, that too. That's a whole You know, I mean, just, just human relationship 
should be taught in terms of like health classes or something. You not even that. I just mean in terms of we don't all have that, you know, nuclear family bullshit. Oh. There's so there's kids who ha- like why does Timmy have two moms? Kind of thing or why does he have two dads or you know, why is his dad suddenly a woman? It, it, this is all Things that happen in reality. And it's real life. And you cannot deny it or ignore it. And trying to change it makes you a monster. Yeah. So. And, and, but I think over time it will change. We're, we're at a very big kind of uh, like switch right now. A where beast always fights back the hardest when it's about to die. Yeah. It's I, true. This and, is. And I think with, not to cut you off, but with. Gay culture, it has become a lot more accepted than it was even from when the birdcage was out. Uh, sir, you know? I remember, I have a very distinct memory of being in the car on the way to the pool in 2012 when I was like 15 and hearing the song Same Love come on the radio for the first time. Hmm. And I didn't know why, but I started tearing up. And I was like, I can't believe I'm hearing this on the radio. This is insane. They're talking about like people being gay on the radio. And I, I don't remember when I first learned that gay people existed. I think I was probably around like nine or 10 or 11 when I was exposed to the concept. And I didn't understand why it was controversial. Yeah. Immediately I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. They love each other. But that's kind of the beauty of being a child is it, it isn't controversial. Yeah. It's not a con- – it's only controversial because the adults made it controversial. It's only – yeah. Because they didn't kids understand it themselves. Cues. Yeah, and, and you spread that. I yeah. mean, you, you, your kids feed off of you. And I, th- I think these, I think it will, it, it, it will change. It always does. Yeah. You know, Slowly I mean. Slowly but surely we march on. It's just we lose people along I mean, the way. you wouldn't have a show like Queer as Folk on. Which also comes out tomorrow or tonight. It might be tonight. Back when I was a kid. That came out when I was in college. And just see how far it came then, you know. And for the first time, you're not watching stereotypes. You're watching the way they really interact mm-hmm. with each other. How this group interacts. Rather than just, you know, some guy acting, you know, a little feminine and, and talking a, with a lisp. And which, I mean, it exists. That was another thing that was striking <laughs> even about this documentary. Because even the secondhand tales they told, like, of short dialogue between, like, some of Howard and his, Howard and his friends. Or, like, clips they showed or photos. I was like, this is... This reminds me of me and my friends. Which was also bittersweet when they started talking about the AIDS crisis. Because I look around and I'm like, this... If I lived back then, these would have been my friends dropping like yeah. flies. Yeah. Like, this would have been... I, I'm not even going to start naming names because I'll start crying. But, like, it, I know who it would have been. No, I, t- I totally get that. I can see it in your face. I mean, it's... This is... When you recommended it, honestly, I thought it was... We're just going to talk about musicals. Yeah. That, this movie's so much more than that. This mm-hmm. movie's pretty goddamn important when when you watch it because like you said if you're a younger person you're learning where all this hate come came from or where Just that community like. came from what they went through what life was like back then because it's such an abstract context uh, concept because you know the hate exists you've experienced a microcosm of it but like i i I could not have imagined but i mean hollywood doesn't mind making that money off of him you know off of his talent no you know and and i think a lot of things have changed and it is get what's the term it gets better 
Yeah. I think, you know, everything does. It's going to, other things will come along that will knock it down a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, some other thing that we haven't thought of. I mean, when I was a kid, I didn't. Trans wasn't even a thought. I still remember watching Oran High School Host Club in like late middle school. Yeah. And the, that was the very first time I was introduced to the concept of a trans person. I just remember, you know, some guys would dress in drag. And that was like a shtick they would do. So, that's There's so thing. many different facets to the community that th trying to define it is the problem. Yes. And I think that as a, as a straight guy, trying to wrap your head around... A problem that isn't yours and you know very little about, it's difficult. And I think that's difficult for anyone trying to live, in, to, trying to step in somebody else's shoes. Right. And which in the documentary was something they mentioned Howard was very good at. Yeah. Which is something that makes you a good storyteller. But like, you can tell when people are trying. Yeah. I mean, they even say that like some people theorize that Beauty and the Beast was an allegory for his homosexuality and eight and having AIDS and, and the, being hated. The allegory pitch is a little strong, but you can hear it in the mob song. There's a lyric, we don't like what we don't understand. In fact, it scares us. The Beast will make off with your children. He'll come after them in the night. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just, it's how he was treated. Yeah. It's not always how he was treated, but it's how he was treated by the worst, and it's still what he got, I'm certain, a lot of the and time. And it might not even been what he intended the song to be about. Necessarily. But you hear, but I think subliminally, he definitely, it was, it was there. If you don't think an artist puts themselves into their work, exactly. you don't know how an artist's mind work, because you, they, you can't help it. Yeah, I you, mean, you only have your own experience. What is his? I think his sister said in the movie, or maybe it was somebody else who was like, his talent was showing you the way he saw the world, like making, f figuring out a way to show you his point of view, which was unique and important. Yeah, and I think what what was so inspiring about it was, as sick as he was, as fighting against producers and the money issues and things like that and other creatives trying to kind of step on his toes, he could have been a lot meaner. Yeah. And he had every right to be. He was such because a he was person. bottling everything up and making a Disney film. Hey, putting making it all several, into the film. Making three Disney films. Because there is a lot of anger in those movies. Oh, a yeah. lot of sadness, even. But there's also a joy to them that they show a lot of how... He was a fun guy. Yeah. He was, you know, he he did, he wasn't, he wasn't just some like artsy curmudgeon who just, I'm an artist, got it? He wanted his to make anger, people happy. His anger came from a place of actual hurt that no one knew about. No, yeah. And I think as an artist story, this movie knocks it out of the park. It really explains the man in a way that a lot of people could relate to even not living the lifestyle he is, he has, or doing the job that he does, you know, you're always going to have someone trying to knock you down. You're always going to have somebody getting in your face about shit, or you're not working fast enough. This, but they don't know why. Yeah. You know, and you could just be putting your heart and soul in something, and they don't see it because they can't understand it for some reason, whatever reason. Or, or you're you're hiding it from the world. Or you know, and and. I really, I am, I'm elated that you recommended this movie to me. I'm glad. I didn't, I knew I was going to like it because, you know, it, it sounded interesting. 
but the sum of its parts is is, is unbelievable. So much better than anything we could really describe on a podcast. I mean, it, it, it's a one-word title, and the, the poster art is just a picture of him standing off to the side. It tells you nothing. And when you sit down with this, it gives you everything. Yeah. You know, and it... It's, I, it, it would honestly make a very interesting film. It, uh, uh, what do you mean by that? Oh, uh, you mean like like fil- a, tell his life story in, in on film. I th- or mean, even uh, certainly a challenge. Or even shit, throw it at Pixar. <laughs> May, you know, do something. You know do, what? Do something because you know what? It would be a lot more interesting than Soul, in my opinion. And he, I feel like he would have loved that. Yeah, because that that that's that was his crowning achievement. He mixed the two things he loved the most, the whimsical and the musical. Yeah. And he got to have that. And, and he won gold. For for what I, for everything I keep saying, like comparing myself to him, I, I don't mean to like think I'm comparing myself to this great person. I think You're relating. I think it's more, and the more I thought about it after watching this, it's less that I am like him and more that so much of him informed who I am. Yeah. Because... I learned so much. So much of me was in The Little Mermaid, was in Beauty and the Beast, was in Aladdin. Like, that's the core of... Like, if you were to form it around, like, an inside-out type concept, like, those would be at the, in my core memories when I was, like, really little was those movies. And it's, I think it's even more emotional for you because you're still going through it. You're young. Yeah. You're, you're, you're 26. Mm-hmm. You're still going through it. And... I think that is why, like, you kind of see where you can go with all this. Yeah. You know, you're seeing the road, you're seeing the roadmap. It's a little intimidating, honestly, how much of a roadmap it could be. But I mean, when you think about it, nobody knows how to do anything until they learn. That's true. You know? And they said it about, like, setting up shop at Disney in, like, that, like, little, like, off to the side studio that wasn't on the main lot because they moved all the animators to some, like, shitty, like... Side yeah. building. Oh, they put them all in trailers. <laughs> Let's see one of the wonderful buildings that they got for us. I loved that little video. Every shot they showed of the animators, I was like, "These are my friends." <laughs> and they and and you know what? They make companies millions, mm-hmm. if not millions, and that's how <laughs> they're treated. Guys, I know. You know. Um, but like it's like that. They're like everybody thinks that like you get to Disney and it's just you got the magic tusk, but Disney is just people. Yeah. Same as everywhere else. It's just it, they happen to collect really really good people. And they utilize them. And, but that doesn't mean that it's not still hard, not still a struggle, not still like the same backbreaking, frustrating work you're doing. There's just more funding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm going to say this was an excellent film. It was a great choice. I think it's a good way to, you know, go out on, on uh, Pride Month. Indeed. You know, we came, in with a com- we came in with a comedy and left with a tearjerker. And we kind of, I think we ran the gamut. You know? I mean, definitely not the gamut. No, sure. I mean in terms of emotion. In terms, yeah. <laughs> not, not in terms. Of the, trust me, this story is never ending. It's it's gonna go on forever. There's always going to be, you know, the ebbs and like I said, the ebbs and flows of life. But I think this 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 was a great way to go out. One historically, yeah, it showed more than just his story. It showed the world around him. And what a lot of people were going through, it just focused on one individual. Mm-hmm. And it could have just been a boring story about this guy who wrote music. But it's so much more than that. Yeah. It's, and- it's, it, I would, this is an important film. 
And and I want to thank you for showing it today. I really enjoyed it. You are quite welcome. It's to, they, they sum it all up, and the people who made this documentary are so good at placing clips where they need to be placed because at the very end... They they just talk they they talk about like what he gave and what he sacrificed and all of that and then it comes in with the beginning of part of your world which if you'll remember is Jody Benson as Ariel going maybe he's right maybe there is something the matter with me I just don't see how a world that makes such wonderful things could be bad and that's what I'd like to leave not that I think any homophobes are listening by this point <laughs> but that's just like what what I'd like to put out there like people thought that like there's something, anybody who thinks there's something wrong with like being gay or like being queer in any way, just like how could you look at some of the joyful, beautiful, exuberant pieces of art that these people create or just like that they are as people, like their outward kindness, like how could you look at that and say like these are bad people? Mm -hmm. I, it, it doesn't compute. Yeah. No, you're well said. Very well said. So we are going to rate the film, and I will... I'm going to let you rate it first, but I'm pretty sure I know where you're going with this puppy. Very obvious 11. Very, like, I don't even think I need to say why. Just please watch this movie. It's not even that long. It was, no, it's not. It's, a, it's like a little over an hour and a half. It's an hour, it's in an hour the words of John it's, Mulaney. It's an hour and a half. Yeah. And do you, do you have any final thoughts on the film? Anything you want to add? Or Howard you... Ashman is my hero, and I'm glad that I, I get a little pipeline to talk about him because I'm always shocked by even how many Disney lovers don't necessarily know his name and know how much he did for the history of that company, of animated film, of musical theater, of just... He, he was an amazing, amazing man, and it's so sad that we lost him when we did. Very well said. And my rating for this film, I'm going 11. I, I'd be a jerk not to go 11 <laughs> on this puppy. Don't feel pressure. But like I said, it wasn't what I thought I was going to watch. I thought I was watching a movie about a gay composer. Yep. That's all I thought I was watching. And it was so much more. And the fact that it came from Disney kind of impressed me a little mm-hmm. bit that they do have a heart deep down. They're just trying to mix it's- that with business. Which doesn't always work. The heart is with the artists. Yes. The people who are in charge exactly. of the business side need to step aside a little bit. Yeah. So that's Howard. And um, I'd just like to say happy Pride Month, everybody. Happy Pride. <laughs> and- happy. Happy Pride. <laughs> yes. And um, so next time on the show, it's my turn to recommend from Mel. And we're going to do a little bit of a... Fo- a-, a- a belated Father's Day episode. Yes. Because it comes out a few days after Father's Day. We're doing Michael Keaton in Mist. Oh, we're not doing Michael Keaton, unless you uh, want to. I, he's a little <laughs> now. Kind of creeps me out after Spider-Man. <laughs> we are going to watch Michael Keaton's 1980s comedy, Mr. Mom. Okay. Do you know anything about Mr. Mom? It Have- sounds like uh, the story is that the man has to be a housewife, and it's very difficult for him. That's pretty much it. That's, yeah, that's it the whole like kit- the 80s. <laughs> oh, yeah. Terry Gars in this thing. I think Debney Coleman, but I'm not sure. I don't know who those people are. Oh, you're going to learn. Oh, they're, <laughs> they're great actors. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to teach you. So that's about it for today. So next time on the show, we are going to watch Mr. Mom. But until then, I've been Adam Mock. I have been Melanie Weir. And we just made you watch... A podcast. Happy Pride, everyone. Happy Pride. You've been listening to an N-Stars podcast production.